Imagine walking into a state-of-the-art train in downtown San Francisco and traveling at speeds of more than 200 miles per hour and arriving in Los Angeles less than three hours later. No airport security lines, no traffic jams. This is what California voters envisioned back in 2008 when they voted yes on high-speed rail. But here we are 15 years later. At the time, it was estimated to cost $33 billion and would be complete by 2020. What happened? At that time, when we went to California voters, you know, that was for a portion of the funding. And I think that's something that we're trying to be very clear about is that we've never had the full funding to construct and complete high-speed rail in California. Progress has been made. We have one segment that's going to be completed this year. We're working very hard to get the other two segments done. And we're also doing a lot of the design work for Merced and into Bakersfield. But there is not enough money left to complete the project, not even close. The latest estimates show it will cost up to $128 billion to connect San Francisco to LA. The project has spent to date about $9.8 billion. We knew we've had a funding gap ever since the project started. What I know is this, the earlier we build it, the cheaper it will be. CNBC visited California's Central Valley, where construction is underway, to find out what it will take to complete what would be the nation's largest infrastructure project. High-speed rail dates back nearly 60 years. The world watched in awe as Japan displayed its newly built bullet train during the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. Japan's Shinkansen has since carried more than 6.4 billion passengers without a single accident. Talks of high-speed rail in California started in the 1980s, right as Europe was starting to build out its high-speed rail network. The California High-Speed Rail Authority was established in 1996, but things didn't really start happening until California voted yes on a $9 billion bond authorization. The real turning point came about 2008, 2009. However, it was very controversial at the beginning. I mean, it still is, of course, but uh, we did get it off the ground and we got the construction going. The plan is to build an electric train that will connect Los Angeles to the Central Valley and then San Francisco in two hours and 40 minutes. Phase two of the plan will eventually extend from Sacramento to San Diego, totaling 800 miles with up to 24 stops. Why does the train go through the Central Valley? You know, I look at a map and I'm like, well, what if it went along Highway 5? Was that ever considered? We were never on the 5 corridor, and there's a reason for that. The bond bill that passed in 2008, it required the High-Speed Rail Authority to connect the cities of the Bay Area with the cities of the Central Valley and then back to the cities of Southern California. Brian Kelly became CEO of the California High-Speed Rail Authority in 2018. And Dan Richard, the former chairman of the California High-Speed Rail Authority Board of Directors, said that just connecting LA and San Francisco was never part of the plan. There's been a lot of controversy about why the Central Valley, but here's the reality. In the lower part of the Central Valley, from Sacramento down to Bakersfield, there are about four million people. If it were its own state, it would be bigger than half the states in the United States. That region has historically been underinvested and left behind. What is the most challenging part of the project as far as the construction goes? Ultimately, if you talk about the entirety of the project from San Francisco to LA, it's probably the tunneling segment. That'll be challenging work and it won't be cheap. But tunnels are built for rail all over the world. 
when they go through the Swiss Alps. They can go through there, we can figure out how to get them to Hatchapies. That's why the cheapest section from Bakersfield to Merced will be completed first. So far, 119 miles are under construction. We are working very hard to have some kind of segment between that section ready to go by 2030, between 2030 and 2033. What do you say to the critics that say it's a train to nowhere? I chuckle because even the initial operating segment between Merced and Bakersfield connects three of the fastest growing cities in California. I think that's been a common mindset for a lot of other projects, including Golden Gate Bridge. Years ago, that was the same comment. It was a bridge to nowhere. And I don't think any of us can imagine what it would be like to not have that bridge connecting us to San Francisco. Yeah, it looks close. It looks like you're close to ready to put the rails down. Right. This is one of our signature structures. You can see that with the arches behind us. And then eventually, once we're done with all of the finishing touches on this structure, we'll be ready, hopefully by next year, to start the planning process of putting down track and system. CNBC also visited the high-speed rail construction site near Fresno back in 2019. And there has been noticeable progress since then. More bridges have been built, land has been cleared, roads have been moved, and certain sections are now ready for the track to go in. From the last time you were here, a lot of different areas that we had started, some utility relocations, some more preliminary work at our construction sites, going from 30% design to now 100% design in the Central Valley is pretty significant. Construction started here in Fresno in 2015, but before that, California's especially stringent environmental review process slowed things down. We have some of the most advanced regulation in the world regarding safety and environment in the United States and these other geographies. That's Bent Flupia. He's an expert on infrastructure megaprojects and recently published a book, How Big Things Get Done. Now, one thing with high-speed rail and actually any new rail project is that it's cutting across a lot of land. So you'll have a lot of landowners and neighbors who will be upset for losing their land to the project. In America, we value private property rights. And that's okay, but it means you have to get into full negotiation and pay fair market value for uh, taking needed private property to build a public works project. When we finish just the environmental clearing process, that cost is about $1.3 billion. And that's for no steel in the ground or no cement. 422 miles out of the 500 miles from LA to San Francisco have now been environmentally cleared. The environmental documents that are key to being able to get the project done have finally moved forward. We're expecting that by the end of this year, end of 2023, all 500 miles of the project will be cleared. One of the goals of the project was to connect six out of the 10 largest cities in the state and bring economic growth to California's Central Valley, historically one of the poorest regions in the state. I think the greatest success that we've had is the impact on the community and the workers in the Central Valley. The Rail Authority says the project has created 10,000 jobs so far and generated $13.7 billion for California's economy from 2006 to 2021. Since high-speed rail has never been built in the U.S. before, it's been tough to find U.S. workers with the necessary skills. So California High-Speed Rail offers a training program. Desiree Rees went through the apprenticeship. She used to work at jewelry chain Claire's, but now has been an iron worker on the railroad for five years. Working on the high-speed rail has allowed me and my family to grow. I had my second child in the beginning of my years on the high-speed rail. Me and my husband bought our first home. I purchased my first car, and now I'm able to go back into college to continue my degrees in construction. 
Daniel Rodriguez was born and raised in California's Central Valley. Well, I feel like it puts a sense of pride for everyone around here to work hard at this job and just whether it be for them or their kids or, you know, just the Central Valley, you know. So it's, it's nice to have a project to work on and be a part of and also have job security around here. To know that we're going to be working on this project for at least five to ten years maybe, you know, and that's great. In 2008, the same year that California voters approved high-speed rail, China began operating its first high-speed rail line. Since then, more than 25,000 miles have been built in the country, but things work differently in the U.S. We're not going to bulldoze people out of the way. I mean, we're just not going to do that in this country. We're not going to bulldoze over endangered species. You have to worry about environmental protection. You have to worry about historic structures. Governments is much more fractured in the United States. So it's not centralized. Like, so like France and Japan and certainly China, the policy in the US is so subdivided, which is great for many things. But of course, the downside is that it becomes difficult to make big decisions. In the US, local jurisdictions have a lot of say in infrastructure projects. This has led to a lot of bickering about routes, political compromises, and lawsuits over environmental concerns or land rights, causing costly delays. It gives everybody a voice, which is a good thing, but when everybody has a voice, the effort to try to harmonize all the different interests becomes that much harder. At one time, on the first 119 miles of the project, there were 12 outstanding lawsuits challenging whether we can spend money on right-of-way, challenging whether it was compliant with environmental laws, uh, challenging uh, whether or not it was the right use of bond money. The High-Speed Rail Authority has won every lawsuit that has been filed against it. We're down to three or four now. We're in settlement discussions on all of them. It kind of comes with the process here in, in, in California as you move through that environmental process. It can be litigious. Early estimates vastly underestimated these additional costs. And along with the rising cost of construction materials and inflation, the price of the project has skyrocketed. Its latest expected cost of up to $128 billion puts it $100 billion in the red. And it's not clear where the money is going to come from. One of the biggest hurdles clearly is funding. That roughly a little over $100 billion number, it's a pretty fair uh, assessment. And I think probably the most accurate assessment that we've had on this project since uh, its inception. California is funding about 85% of that through the cap and trade and the bond dollars. The federal government is funding about 15% of that with federal dollars we received mostly in 2009 and 2010. We're hoping to balance that out a little bit more with our federal partner as we go forward. It's going to need to be sort of a 60-40 relationship, if you will, between us as far as that, uh, that, that funding split. We can't get this project done without federal support. It's just not going to happen. It's not unprecedented for the federal government to fund mega projects. To put it in perspective, the Federal Highway Administration spent more than $72 billion on highways in 2022. And the F-35 program is estimated to cost over $1.7 trillion to buy, operate, and sustain the aircrafts. But the support has been weak coming out of Washington. The bipartisan infrastructure bill passed in 2021 did allocate $66 billion to rail, which was the largest investment in passenger rail since the creation of Amtrak. But no money was specifically set aside for high-speed rail. Critics of the project want to keep it that way. And I just don't want the federal government getting involved in this. We shouldn't be subsidizing this program, not at any level of government, certainly not federal taxpayer money. 
Um, and I uh, uh, just believe that this is a, a, a problem. I'm not anti-train. I'm not anti-worker. I am anti-fraud, waste, and abuse, and I'm anti-bad ideas. There was bipartisan support for high-speed rail. But I will tell you that the day that President Obama came out and announced that he foresaw an America where 80% of Americans could be connected by their cities with high-speed rail, at that moment, at that instant, the Republican support evaporated, which was just ridiculous because you know, there are no Democratic or Republican trains, uh, just like there are no Democratic or Republican potholes. But these obstacles to completing megaprojects are not unique to the United States. Britain is building a comparable high-speed rail project that would link London to northern England. It's also faced controversy, delays, and costs that have skyrocketed to north of $100 billion. There's this stop-go approach to delivering them, you know, that, that now then you're doing it and then you're not doing it. That's very bad for projects. If you decide to do a project like this, you need to do it, and you need to do it in as short a period of time as possible. Therefore, it's a really bad idea uh, that both high-speed two in the UK and California high-speed rail are doing exactly this, taking a long time to deliver their projects. California is actively applying for grants from the federal government to help complete the project. But competition is fierce. Brightline West, a private company, is another high-speed rail project in the region, which hopes to take passengers from Los Angeles to Las Vegas and eventually connect to California's line. It has already received bipartisan support for a $3.75 billion federal grant. So the question remains, Will California be able to finish this epic mega project? I'm concerned about where they put these constructions. California would have been better off if they had started building from LA north and from San Francisco south, because if the part that has been built turns out to be financially a disaster, you know, people are not going to queue up for building the rest. But if you had built in San Francisco and LA, and you could see a lot of people are actually getting on that train, then there would be more of a logic, you know, to actually finish the project. I don't have any question that it's possible to finish it. And actually, when you look at projects around the world, it's very rare that big projects like this, when you've already spent like uh, billions and billions of dollars, that they actually get stopped. It's really easy to say, I don't want to spend the money on this, but it's our kids and our grandkids and the future of the state and the environment and our society and every generation, I think, has an obligation to make those kinds of investments for the future. It's cool to be a part of this. I have two kids, so to see them and they're, hopefully they have kids later on and just be a part of it. Hey, my dad worked on that and maybe they want to get into the trade and motivate them to do something like that. I feel it's a part of history. It's something that I'm able to, to share and, and be proud of. You can't build yesterday's transportation projects for today's and tomorrow's challenges. You've got to build stuff that's different. Electrified, renewable power, clean, fast rail is part of that future. It's happening all over the world. And it needs to happen here too. 